Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Any of these scenarios that I mentioned, the six possible theories, you will consider one verdict and one verdict only. Any of these scenarios are covered by the one simple verdict. He was unlawfully killed. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. The most investigated murder in British history. It's just over six weeks now since a private detective called Daniel Morgan was found dead in a car park of a pub in South London. It was gruesome. He'd been killed with an axe. 30 years ago, a private detective was brutally murdered, and it still hasn't been solved. I'm Peter Jukes, and I'll be exploring how one man and his family began to unravel the truth. Untold. The Daniel Morgan murder. If you haven't heard this story, ask yourself... Why? Welcome to the fifth podcast in this epic and troubling story of the Daniel Morgan murder. Now, you may remember at the end of episode four, Alastair finally heard some good news and that thanks to his complaints, another police force, the Hampshire Police, had set up their own investigation, looking at how Scotland Yard, the Metropolitan Police, had handled the first murder investigation and with a particular remit to look at police involvement in the murder of Daniel. In this episode, we're going to conduct a similar exercise as the Hampshire Police. We're going to change the format a bit and have a round table to look at the evidence we've heard so far in the first four podcasts. But before we do that, let's just catch up on what Alistair calls the wilderness years from 1989 to 1997, where apparently nothing happened in terms of the investigation. But in terms of his own life, something rather important did happen. I just felt that the whole system had failed me. You know, it was just useless. I didn't know where to go. I'd got, you know, some local papers to write a little bit about it. None of the national papers were even remotely interested, you know. I was thinking about the best traditions of the British press. I'll try that. I'll try and be a journalist. So I applied to Farnham. 
Most of the students were significantly younger than me. I think I was 41 when I started doing that. And so it was a bit of a shock. But eventually, you know, it took me a little while, but eventually I got to know people and made friends with, with people. And I was renting a house with a couple of other students, Pete Taylor and Andrea Belitho, who were a couple. Andrea's best friend was Kirsten. I think it was second or third year when Al moved into the house. Obviously, Kirsten came down to visit to come see Andrea. I think Al spoke to me. I think Kirsten had been down for a couple of days now. Spoke to me one evening about, yeah, pretty much a bit of playground, you know, nonsense. Quite like her. What do you think? I couldn't really avoid him. My best friend since I was six years old was doing a journalism degree down in Farnham. And she was in a shared house with him. So whenever I went down to see her, which was pretty frequent, he'd just be around. I, I knew he found me interesting, but I didn't really pay much attention. Kirsty knocked him back a couple of times. Um, I think Al got a little bit miffed about that. You know, I asked her out eventually after meeting her about half a dozen times, you know. And, uh, you know, I remember the first meeting, I think she said to me something like, uh, well, if you're thinking about a relationship, she said, you're, you're too old or something like that. My best friend, Andrea, had told me that Alistair's brother was murdered. And I think there was probably some indication that there was police corruption involved. But that was really the extent of it. But as soon as I got to know him, obviously that was probably the hugest thing in his life. So I very quickly learned a lot. It obviously made him more interesting and a person that cared very much about justice in this country. And, and I did find that very attractive. And eventually... Uh... We, <laughs> we became an item. Probably even for the first year or so, just getting to grips with the cast of thousands, <laughs> the names was just overwhelming. And I was always going, who, no, but who was that? Who was that? Kirsty plays a huge role because I think in, in many ways, not only when it comes to the case, but if you ever see Kirsty with stationery, she loves stationery. She loves organising it all in a box. And I think Alistair was her stationery box for a while. I would say it was his reason for being. Kirstine has been Alistair's partner now for the last 20 years and she has been key to the campaign, Justice for Daniel. She runs a Twitter account in that name and a website. She'll be joining us on this roundtable with a former murder detective or homicide cop from Scotland Yard. Since he deals a lot these days with whistleblowers and police complaints, we're going to preserve his anonymity and use his online identity, Frank Matthews, also known as the Lamplighter Cop. Well, I joined the force back in the 70s. I was a detective for most of my service. I was a detective sergeant for a very long time. And uh, I worked, as we said earlier, on murder inquiries. Uh, did that for six years. And uh, I worked with uh, some of the major squads in uh, the Metropolitan Police. The Hampshire inquiry would have been looking at these key facts set out in the coroner's inquest. Daniel was killed in a secluded, darkened car park. It was at a pub Daniel didn't usually go to. He was hit from behind with an axe which had been modified. His Rolex watch, worth about £600, was taken, but he had over £1,000 of cash in his jacket pocket. The Hampshire Inquiry would be looking at these main theories about the motives for Daniel's murder, summarised by the coroner at the inquest in 1988. 
These can be summarized as gangland assassination, drug deal or robbery gone wrong, or revenge for Daniel's alleged womanizing. Let's look at the last one first, the notion that it was a crime of passion and the suspect, a jealous husband or disgruntled lover. But the problem to me on that is that there's preparation with the axe, right? Yeah. It's clearly prepared yeah, in some could, way. Somebody could have been simmering jealousy, planning it for yeah. weeks or whatever. Who, who you know. knows, yeah. But the, then, the, 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 the bit you came up with, the, the first bit you came up with, which was interesting, was how did they know it was going to be at that car park at that time? That's the, that's, that's, that's the bit I'd, have, I'd struggle yeah. with. And or you yeah. might, you know, you, that's the kind of thing where you'd assault somebody rather than kill them, you know what I mean? Yes, because you want an emotional reaction. Beat him yeah. up yeah. or... Mm. Yeah. You'd want them to know. You know. Yes, you want them to know. You know, you've yes. been uh, what, what it was for. Yeah. 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 The other one is that he'd stumbled across or been part of some drug deal out the car park at the back. Um, now, what, what, how, what do you think about well, that one? What's the intelligence to say that he was dealing in drugs? That's what my I'd brother, like to know. That's what I'd uh, like to know. My brother hated drugs. Yeah. He hated them. Mm. He, uh, but there must have been a statement or some reason where that came from. Well, it came from Jonathan Rees. But if Rees proffered that information, where was it recorded? Who recorded it? Well, he, and he, also, where's the substance for it? Because it looks to me as if that's not true, that Jonathan Rees is planting a red herring. Well, there's another red herring. is about various disgruntled lovers and, and women. There was some massive Casanova. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, you know, contradictory mm-hmm. red hearings going into the inquiry. This one's through fillery. But again, what you would do on the murder inquiry is when, when information like that is being put in, you test that information. Mm-hmm. Where has it come from? You know, you can't just take it as read. You have to investigate the source right at the outset. Mm-hmm. What's the source? Where has that source got it from? Test it, test it. Test is there a motive for it? Is there a... Well, um, if, the, if the same person is coming up with yeah. lots of lines of inquiry that have no yeah. substance, then you start to look at <laughs> the credibility yeah. of that person and the motives of that person. The other third area of the coroner's suggestions for what she thought was an inevitable conclusion of uh, unlawful killing was a gangland hit job or some kind of organised hit job. We we tend to think of hits with uh, firearms. There may be a reason why, if it was a gangland hit, you couldn't, again, you can't discount it because it wasn't a firearm. There may be some reason why it was done with an axe. Uh, I would say, well, because it's quiet. It's quiet? It's quiet. And, and uh, they had to get Daniel to a place. Yes. A pub, right? right. That's. I mean, they, if they'd said to him, "We want you to meet you on Bodmin Moor," mm-hmm. you'd probably been a bit uh, yeah. suspicious. So they had to, you know, a pub. Uh, there's a lot of people around. There's a possibility of people hearing, running out. Yeah, if absolutely. If there's a gunshot, there'd be absolutely people, witnesses. Yeah. They had to yeah. kill him. Um, in my view, silence. That's good. Silence. Yeah. Silence was and, a key and the other, and another reason is because if you're carrying an axe and you are stopped on the way to commit your mm-hmm. crime. You've got an axe in the boot. You can say, well, I'm doing some jobs at home. Why has he got all this stuff around? Because I find it mm. easier to hold. It doesn't slip out of my hand. Uh, is it an offensive weapon? Not per se. It's an axe. It's for chopping wood. You've got a gun in your boot or in your glove box. 
then you've you're got... Under well, you're under arrest. You have, there is no ifs, ands or buts about it. You will be going to the police station. At the inquest, did the coroner not bring forward the argument of a robbery gone wrong? Because that's certainly the explanation we had to live with and counter a very long time. But, the, but he still had... He had mm. £1,000 in his pocket mm. that he'd taken from his office that day and was going to bank in the morning. Beyond the immediate circumstances of the night of the murder... The Hampshire inquiry was tasked to look at police involvement and a possible cover-up. Is there any evidence of this in the aftermath? The night of the murder, before Fillory is involved, we have Jonathan Rees being told by the police about Daniel's death, him coming to the station. That's right, he'd been changed yeah. clothes, he had his slippers on, but they do not take his clothes for any forensics. That's one oversight. No, uh, his clothes were examined... Um, visually. Uh, visually examined. That's, that's ridiculous. You can't, you cannot possibly examine anybody's clothes and be satisfied that somebody hasn't been at the scene of a crime. You know, e even in those days, we were, uh, if not DNA, we were on the cusp of DNA. Um, but fibers. minute particles, fibres, blood, uh, and in an incident like this, no doubt there was blood splatterings. And uh, the minutest of particles get intertwined inside the weave of the clothing. You wouldn't even see that with a with the naked eye. Mm. You'd, you'd have to go to the forensic laboratory. And so to say that you've looked at somebody's clothing and you are satisfied, in my view, is absolutely ridiculous. So that's the first oversight. Um, and in a bizarre way, it's not very fair to Reese because if they'd have done that and it'd been clear, it would have ruled him out. Uh, well, it, it, it would have, would have, would have uh, certainly assisted mm. with what his version of events is, yes. So, so they haven't done the right thing no. to prove or disprove yeah. the case, which is the police's job to find the truth. The next day, the first person to take a statement from Jonathan Rees and actually take him to identify the body is his good friend, Sid Fillory, who also joins uh, another detective in taking papers away from Southern Investigation, including the Belmont car auction. Now, what do you make about that? What happened to those papers? Well, according to my brother's office manager, who was in the office at the time, he handed over the Belmont file to the police officers and then when he got it back some time later, he said that a lot of it was missing. Right. That was his view of it. And, yeah. I mean, Peter was the office manager. He dealt yeah. with all the paperwork. Yeah. And he said that there were papers missing from the Belmont right. file. So what we'd want to know is what happened to those documents. Were they put into the system, into the murder investigation they'd system? They'd gone. I believe uh, my brother's desk diary or, or mm. I think my brother had a pocket diary and a desk diary and I believe one of those one or so other of those the, those documents would have had to have gone into the murder investigation they could have exhibits. gone in as exhibits or as documents but they would have had to have been registered within the system with a number, yeah, with a number, number yeah. in the system so it sounds like they're not, or they weren't, and it's rather crucial if a death star yeah. should show, show you when he was going to meet certain I mean, people, yeah. his plans to meet people in the future, yeah. they could be crucial documents. That, that's an important, important document, so much so that as a murder investigator, I'd be looking for a Section 9 statement from a witness to produce those documents. I remember my mother telling me that she'd heard from Tony Pierce, who was also working in the office, that Sid Fillory and another officer had taken a, a pile of documents in a black bin liner 
from the office and had left no inventory or record of what they'd taken from the office. Because he was concerned that no, there was no record of what had there, been there taken. There should have been a record, yeah. And they should have been recorded back at the incident room, either in, as a document or in the exhibits book. There would have been an appointed exhibits officer, and that exhibits officer normally, or should I say generally, goes to the scene of anywhere where exhibits are going to be taken. Sometimes, obviously, that, that's not possible, it's not feasible, because lots of things are being seized in different locations all at the same time. But where possible, the exhibits officer should go along to actually seize those records and make a note in the exhibits book. There is a sp specific book which details the number, the time, the date, the officer who found it, and then the continuity of that exhibit. Who produced it. Yes, exactly. It's yeah. an audit trail as well. It's an audit but trail, yeah, But that, that, there's never most, there's never returned those documents. We have never seen, you've never heard of Daniel's diary, that's no. never returned. So and that seems to have gone missing after Fillerism. We also it. found out some years later, I can't remember at which point, but that the exhibits officer had been disciplined some over some irregularity. Yeah, irregular. I, I don't know. I, don't, we I still do, don't just know don't the know. details. Okay. Well, another. So this is getting beyond just yeah. incompetences. If you discipline somebody, that could be incompetence. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So moving on from those first few days, we then, uh, Fillory says he's going to recuse himself anyway because he realises it's a complicated position with Reese as a friend and he is taken off the murder squad the following Saturday, I think. And then within about three weeks, he's one of six people arrested. 
Mm. That, that's the interesting bit because how did that come about? That's what I'm interested in. Is what changed? What became known about uh, Fillory and his relationship with Reese that wasn't known originally? It was about their um, their involvement with Belmont auctions. All of these six people who were arrested mm. were arrested. And this was in the newspapers on the day after the arrest. that They'd been arrested in connection with their dealings with or their association with Belmont Auctions. But they were arrested for murder. Yeah, on suspicion of murder, yeah. yeah. Not of moonlighting. No. Let's go to Belmont, because I mean, I've talked to you guys before, and you know we've gone through, you know, you're very open-minded, you don't have closed minds, you're very inferential, uh, like good detectives yourself and good journalists. We can rule out Belmont being the motive, do you think? It seems to me that it, there isn't one motive. A lot of things come together. It's always been difficult to think that it was worth killing somebody over Belmont alone. Yeah. And I think that was something that the police struggled with as well. So for all the times Alistair was banging on the door trying to get something done, there was this block of, well, why would you kill somebody over moonlighting at Belmont? No, that wasn't that uncommon at the time. I mean, it seems that police misbehaviour back then was... Well, just part like, for the course yeah. it wasn't that mm. big a deal mm. but going back to that time that's really largely all you had to go on until of course kevin lennon's evidence yeah i have to agree having looked at this in detail for several years now the belmont car auction heist just doesn't pan out a sufficient motive for murder i'm sure hampshire police would have come to the same conclusion but what about that bookkeeper kevin lennon lennon said on oath that Daniel's business partner, Jonathan Reese, had been telling him he wanted to have Daniel killed for a year before he was actually murdered. He mentioned it on at least half a dozen occasions and then said it had been sorted out by Reese's good friend, Detective Sergeant Sid Fillery, at Catford Police Station. So the murder would take place on Fillery's patch, presumably so he could interfere with the murder inquiry, and Fillery would then retire from the police force and take Daniel's place at the detective agency, Southern Investigations. Well, surely this would have been the key testimony to the Hampshire inquiry tasked with looking at police involvement. But the police have always been really dismissive of Kevin Levin's evidence because he was um, on a charge or he was had a fraud prosecution um, ahead of him. And one thing I'd really like to know from Frank is, obviously, it's difficult when your witnesses are tainted, and, and Kevin Lennon certainly was. But was it right to really completely disregard Kevin's evidence in the way that they appeared to? Well, it's not always the police's decision to discount the evidence. They, they may well have a, a feeling that that witness may be attacked in court by the defence barrister, but they can't really dismiss it out of hand. You know, if the, if the man has made a, a Section 9 statement and... Um, section 9, just Section 9 of the Magistrates Court, that's the official caution declaration at the top of the statement, which says that it's true, and um, you sign to say that it's and true. It, and if you're lying, you're... Yes, you're um, eligible for prosecution yourself. So um, so if somebody goes to, the, to those lengths to sign that statement, and I would imagine if, if they had any... Uh, 
never retracted it either in no. 29 yeah. years. Well, he stood by that yeah. statement for 29 years. If he, um, if, he was, if he was thought by the investigating team that there might be some ulterior motive for him making that statement, I'm sure they would have pointed out the severity of signing that statement. And, um, you know, I, I wasn't there. Also, one very, very peculiar aspect of that statement, or particular aspect of it, is that when he made the statement, which I believe he made in September 1987, six months after the murder, he was talking about Jonathan Rees taking Sid Fillory on as a partner, hmm. which didn't take place for another six months. So he was predicting the future. Yeah. So he knew his, he, yeah, there was definitely substance that could be proven in that statement yeah. to have been factual. And, and I mean, yeah. uh, the, the fact that it was predicting the future, I mean... Well, it indicates he's in the know. Yeah. And for years and years and years, you have battled to get that properly looked at and the significance of that recognised. And for all these years, the police, the CPS, have not really wanted to give much weight to Lennon's evidence. The bit that makes me think it's particularly odd, if, as they argue, that Lennon did that purely because he wanted favour with the judge to get a lesser sentence, why on earth would you pick police corruption? Mm. Because that's just going to make yeah. life more difficult. For Absolutely, it's a peculiar yes. way a, a excellent to point. choose. Excellent no. point. And if you look at what happened in the you know, inquest, I've read it recently. He is cross-examined quite extent by defence powers, what you know, the barristers mm. yes. for mm. recent fillery, saying you were coerced in this thing. No, I wasn't. To the Hampshire Inquiry looking at police involvement, the location of the murder should be quite significant. The Golden Lion was a pub neither Rhys nor Daniel frequented. Daniel had only been there once previously the night before. It had a secluded car park out the back and was also in the catchment area of Catford Crime Squad, run by DS Sid Fillory. But perhaps not only place, but timing is important. So if there was a plan, let's say, if there was a plan where Daniel would be murdered and Sid had to be on the investigation, then it would have to take place at a time when Sid was free to be on the investigation or when he would be an automatic inclusion in a... If he he was on duty in that police area at the time as a detective sergeant... On the local crime squad. On the local crime squad, then there is a high probability... Uh, that he would be on the murder investigation. In fact, I'd go as far as to say he would definitely be on that murder investigation. Well, this is what I thought, and the fact that he 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 just finished a murder investigation the day before. The day before. The day before on the ninth. Well, that took me aback. That was news to me. The Hampshire inquiry should have had access to Fillory's duty record. Well, until this roundtable, I had no idea the timing of the murder could be so significant and perhaps more circumstantial evidence of Fillory's collusion. Well, it just goes to show that over three decades, and with so much information out there, there are always new revelations and new leads to follow. And if you have any information that could help Alastor or us, do let us know by emailing info at untoldmurder.com. You can find out more on the website. So we've done our own review of the evidence so far, and you can make up your own mind. And remember, this was the remit of the Hampshire Inquiry. Was there any evidence of police involvement in the murder of Mr. Daniel Morgan? I asked my panellists what their conclusions would have been. 
You're running the Hampshire Inquiry, you put your report in, what would you conclude, in essence? That's a big one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> where do you start? Um, okay, let me break yeah. it down. Okay. Was there police involvement? In, would you say there's a high suspicion of police involvement in the murder of Mr Daniel Morgan? From what, I, what I've gleaned, seen, yes, there's a, there's a high probability. Would you say it was just one officer? Would you say that there was sufficient levels of police involvement to maybe undermine that first murder investigation? Yeah, yes, definitely. Um, I, there's there's lots of unanswered questions, uh, and until you get all the paperwork, including the policy docket of the senior investigating officer, to be perfectly honest, you're never going to get to the bottom of this. That's what the panel think. But I've been asked by my producer, Devia, to come out of my shell a bit and say what I really think. Well, having looked at this story for four years and all the evidence up to this point in 1990, what would I, if I was the Hampshire Inquiry, concluded about the police corruption in the original Daniel Morgan murder investigation? Well, my own opinion is... I think there's ample evidence of police corruption around the first Daniel Morgan murder inquiry. Well, let's go through some of the indications. The most obvious example of this is the role of Detective Sergeant Sid Fillory. He met with Daniel and Reese at the murder scene the night before, in a place they never usually went to. This pub happened to be in Sid Fillory's CID bailiwick. Reese rang Fillory the day of the murder. I can hear warning bells ringing. That night, Reese's clothes weren't taken for forensic examination, nor was his car. The next day, Fillory interviews Reese, removes files from Southern Investigations. I'm now hearing a very loud klaxon. And then the way Fillory steers the investigation in those first few days away from his friend, Reese. Man the lifeboats, abandoned ship. What's frankly amazing is that Sid Fury managed to keep this going for so long. But though he left the murder squad, was then arrested, off sick the rest of the summer and then retired, is that the limit of police corruption? Billary, perverting the course of justice for his friend, drinking pal and future business partner, Jonathan Reese. Well, I think not. There's just too many examples of things going wrong for it to be the subversion of one person. For example, there's the exhibits officer reprimanded for not logging properly the materials removed from the offices. And there's another officer disciplined for letting and use the world contact into the incident room before Reese and Fillory were arrested. Then, of course, there's complete failure to follow up any of Derek Haslam's allegations of whistleblowing to the press by Daniel and his friend Alan Holmes. There's also some new evidence I've discovered while researching this episode. Is that somebody did come forward after that crime watch appeal in 1987, a woman who claimed she'd heard Reese discussing a murder plot in a pub, and yet this female witness was somehow lost. I know a lot of what happened could be put down to incompetence, but when the incompetence becomes so consistent, you have to think again. One oversight could be an accident too, Perhaps complete stupidity, but so many. Well, to me it looks planned. And even more so, the way that Reese thought he could undermine the inquiry with impunity for that whole summer. All of this suggests to me, someone higher up 
was protecting him and Fillory in some way. But the real key evidence for a wider conspiracy comes later, in the next episode, in the story of Derek Haslam and Alan Holmes. But first, let's find out now what the Hampshire Inquiry actually concluded in 1990. I'd just received a, a letter from the Police Complaints Authority, and I, it, was, it was a very short letter. It was half a page, to, as far as I remember now back then. I, I remember reading this letter, and it said something like, there's no evidence whatsoever of police involvement, blah, 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 something like that. And I can remember thinking, I can't let this rest. I am not going to let this rest. And I knew, I knew then that this was going to take me years. You know, I knew then. I mean, had I known it would take me 30 years, I, I don't know what I would have done. I, but I knew I was facing a long, long uphill battle then. And I can remember, I walked out of my flat where I lived in, in this little village really in Hampshire and there was a level crossing very close to my door and I walked over and I walked over the level crossing and I can remember looking up the road and thinking I was saying to, yeah I said to my brother I said to him I'm going to get the people who did this to you Daniel I'm going to get them arrested and I'm going to expose the corruption that, that I've seen here I swear I'm not going to rest you know until I've done that next week as promised we'll explore the hidden connections between the murder of Daniel Morgan and the apparent suicide of Detective Constable Taffy Holmes in an extraordinary interview with the former cop and undercover informant who links both violent deaths. Don't miss it. Episode 5 was produced by Peter Dukes and Devia Mir. Soundtrack by Shemaili Mir with closing music from the Lemmingtons. And remember, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, listen on the Acast app, or visit untoldmurder.com. Episode 5, a Flameflower Duende production. Out of the shop down the fire escape onto the street There's a steel rail you can reach It's not just you, you know Now the whites of your knuckles are starting to show The whites of your knuckles are starting to show And you're hanging over the side It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.